Well, again, good morning. I'm uh, excited to be here with you and to, to see you and uh, to be sharing with you this morning. Um, if you've ever taught at all, uh, you realize that when you uh, are preparing to teach, um, you actually uh, learn the material well and you get ministered to and you, you, uh, you receive as much, uh, I would say for me, much more than I'm going to give to you. But uh, I just appreciate um, being able to do that and, and being able to share with you this morning. Um, so uh, what, what, uh, what the Lord's laid on my heart. I love stories about Alaska. I love stories about Alaska past. Um, and, uh, you know, whether it's hunting or fishing or, or camping, survival, commercial fishing, whatever, all those stories, I, I just love those stories. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, the, you get told stories and you're going, eh, really? Like, like you know, our, our, our friend who killed a, a brown bear on Kodiak Island with a buck knife, right? I've seen the knife. I believe him. I've seen the bear, picture of the bear. Um, or if I'm telling people, uh, you know, my, my past story that I have two times, not once, but twice, years apart, have had silver salmon jump right into my boat without any, not on the line, nothing. They just jump right in my boat. You know, people down in the lower feet go, you're, you're lying. I don't believe you. But have you ever been to Seward? You, is this, you guys know this happens, right? Unbelievable. It's amazing, but they actually jump into your boat. So stories about Alaska are just, are just amazing, and I, and I love them. And uh, one, of the, one of the things I remember, really, even when I first, first came to Alaska, you know, well over 30 years ago now, um, was, uh, was a story of a, uh, a guy named Reuben Hilborn, a native Alaskan man who's a, a lutic. Uh, he's from Chignik, Alaska, down on, on the chain there a little bit. And uh, he called himself the Singing Fisherman. And uh, Reuben was a commercial fisherman. And uh, commercial fishing has had a huge role in our lives. Am I right, Lauren? Commercial fishing has had a huge role in, in the state of Alaska and in our native communities for, you know, century more. So it's, it's, just, uh, it's just wonderful and and so uh, Reuben, um, he was born in 1937, and he wrote a song uh, called A New Life, describing what God had done uh, in his life. Are you familiar with this? Anybody familiar with this? A few? I know some of you are. You're just being shy, but yeah, there we go. Thanks. But uh, Reuben wrote this song, and it's now a, a theme song. It has been for, for many years of uh, Native New Life which is a gathering on Monday nights, uh, and they still meet now, still gather every Monday night, and I'm pretty confident, I haven't been there in a while, but I'm pretty confident that they still sing this song regularly at, uh, at Native New Life. And uh, Reuben graduated uh, to be home with his Savior Jesus uh, in 1999, but this simple song for uh, the love of what Jesus is still doing... <coughs> In, uh, 
in communities and in lives today, and, and in native communities, you know, all over the state is, is still being sung. So I want to I want to share this song with you. I'll, I'll, I'll save you. I won't won't sing it. I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll just read it to you. It goes a new life now I know, and my heart's all aglow. Trust in Jesus, and you'll see just how happy life can be. There's a peace within my heart today that causes me to sing. There's a joy within my soul today that only Christ can bring. And I'm happy, oh so happy, for my new life in him. I'm a child of the king. A new life, now I know, and my heart's all aglow. Trust in Jesus and you'll see just how happy life can be. From the snowy mountaintops to the deep blue sea, across the rolling tundra where the river runs so free, I tell the wonder story of Christ and Calvary. He means everything to me. A new life, now I know. And my heart's all aglow. Trust in Jesus and you'll see just how happy life can be. And this new life and what it looks like is what we want to study today. Our passage that we're going to read from is Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. But before we, we get to verse 17, I, I first want to read the beginning of chapter 4, just to get the charge that we have here about this, about this new life. This is what our lives are, are supposed to look like, uh, starting in chapter 4, uh, verse 1 through 3, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another up in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. To what mission have we been called? In what way are we worthy for this mission? Well, we need to watch, we need to watch our walk. And this mission is to love God and to love others. That's, that's our mission. And we do this through unity of the Spirit. The term here uh, used uh, to walk in a manner worthy, that, that term walk, it's, it's really simple in, in Greek. It means walk. Uh, it means how we are to live, how we are to conduct our lives, okay? how, we, how we go about living, um, walking our lives uh, in unity. That's what, that's, that's what this means. That's, that's uh, our conduct and, and how we are to be. Verse 3 says, we're to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We are to be known by our unity. That is what we are to be known for. That is what people should recognize and see is the unity uh, in our lives. And unity comes when we exercise, as, as we've read, humility, gentleness, patience, and supporting each other in love. This brings unity, which results in peace. It says, uh, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
And so I asked the question, how do you know if there's unity? How do you know? How do you know? I don't, I don't think it's everybody agrees on every single issue. Uh, that doesn't happen very often, does it? It doesn't even happen with our homes, let alone church community. But how can you tell if there's unity? And I came up with, with a couple of things that we can examine our own hearts with to see if there's unity um, in, in our lives and our thinking. The first is, you can tell there's unity if there's genuine love and excitement for other people's good. If you are genuinely excited and, and thankful and, and you love other people. You bear one another's burdens. You cry with them. You pray with them. Okay? You are there for them. But it's not just it's not just their burdens that you bear. That's not the only time you, you go with them. No, you, you're excited for one another when they're experiencing joy. You are genuinely excited for them and the good things that are going on in their lives. And you're just uh, able to share that with them. And it's just, uh, it's just a wonderful thing. That's when unity, when we're excited. I'm so thankful that God is doing this in your life. The second thing I, I came up with to, to see if there's, if there's unity is uh, there is peace. There is peace. There's not strife. There's not jealousy. You are, you are looking for a way to bless other people. I want to be a blessing. I want to encourage. I want to help. And that's a way that we can see that there, there is peace. We're... We're solving problems together, not alone. It's not like, I got this, you guys just follow me and I'll, I'll take care of it and we'll, we'll go. No, we're, we're solving these problems together. We're working through issues together. Together we're going forward uh, in unity and in peace. And as you know, if you're going to do something together, especially if everyone's on the same page and you're learning, that takes a lot of time, doesn't it? And it's not easy, is it? It takes a lot of time and sacrifice to go together in peace and, and, and pursue and to, to strive. But I think that's, uh, that's how we know that there's unity, is when um, you're genuinely excited and you love other people and you're genuinely excited for them and there's peace. There's peace. If we are going to have unity, we must be willing to let the good of the whole be more important than our individual good. The good of the whole has to be more important than our individual good. And that, uh, you know, that's a, hard, that's a hard place for us to get to. It really is. But that's what needs to happen if we're going to have unity. The, the, the good of the whole is, is what, I'm, what I'm working for, what I'm seeking, what I'm excited about. So a question, how, uh, how can I give or how can I serve for the good of the whole? How can we be instruments of unity? How can we do this? And the next several verses, verses 4 through 16, they, they give in more detail of this walk in unity and what that looks like. And, but, um, but I want to spend uh, most of our time here in, in verses uh, 17 through 32, okay? So we're going to skip ahead a little bit, uh, 17 through 32. And we are shown here what living um, this new life 
really looks like. Let me read Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity for, to the devil. Let the thief long, no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it, may give you, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So we are told in these verses to walk in distinction. To walk in distinction. We are to be unique. We are to be noteworthy. People are to realize this. Okay, So walking in a distinct manner that is different from the world. Verse 17 shows us that a a believer's life uh, should be living in distinction. And I testify to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. We are to be distinct from an unbeliever. We cannot, we cannot love both the world and God. That, that doesn't work. Trust me, it has been attempted and is attempted all the time, still today. It doesn't work. Scripture tells us it doesn't work. We can't be love the world and love God. We, we have to choose. And as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of the parable of the souls. Have you ever, have you ever been through the parable of the soils? Ever been, been there? Yeah. If, you, if you've been in church lately, you have. Okay. We've been in there a while. Let's turn just quickly to Matthew 13, verse 22. And it says, As for what was sown among the thorns... This is one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And I think that's what happens when we try and have one foot in the world and one foot on God. It doesn't work. We can't do that. We can't do that. And we get choked up by these things of the world and and deceit, and it uh, it just has its way with us.
The word Gentile here, it stands for the general multitude of people. It says uh, uh, you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. This is not so much the, the, you know, the, uh, the lineage, the, the race Gentile versus Jew. You know. it, it, is, it is more uh, God's people, the Jews, and all the rest, the Gentiles. Okay? That's, what it, that's what it's talking about here. And, and so it's those that are in God okay, are his people, and, and the Gentiles refers to the rest. Those are not uh, walking in the way God would, would be. They are not trusting in him with their lives. Um, and it says that they don't understand. They, they don't understand. Um, they, um, in, in verses 18, 18 through 19, it says they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, and practice every kind of impurity. They don't understand. They don't get it. They don't understand that they're one foot in the world, one foot in God. They don't, they don't get that. Okay? They don't understand. And it says in verse 18, they're alienated from God. They're alienated from God. They're separate. It's, there is no unity there. They are separate from God, but they don't get it. Their minds are dark and they don't understand. They don't realize it. Okay? And it, the cause is their hardness of heart as... as as we read here. And the hardness of heart looks like, the hardness of heart looks like surrendering to sensuality, greed, all other kinds of impurity. That's what, that's what a hardness of heart looks like. That's what characterizes your life. That's how you live. That's what's in your heart. Okay? And, and so it's, it's, it's calling out that, that difference and making that distinction. A believer should look like Jesus Christ. That's what a believer should look like, verses uh, 20 and 21. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Okay? A believer should look like Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what a believer should. It says here, the way you learned Christ that's not a grammatical mistake. It's not learned about Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's not. It is you learned Christ. And what that is talking about is it's talking about salvation. It's talking about you realized your condition and you came before uh, a holy God and you asked Jesus to forgive you for your sins. That's, that's what you learned Christ means. Okay, it's not it's not about Christ. It's you learned Christ, and that is salvation. Very, very different. A lot of people know things about Christ, you know. In our most in our most secular universities around here, there are many classes about Jesus Christ. There's many classes uh, on on the Bible, and there's classes that that you know would would go through the gospel. You know, the story of Jesus Christ. And they would teach it. So about Christ, that, that's, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about you, you learn Christ, okay? So it is salvation is, is what it's talking about. And you must learn Jesus Christ. You must allow his life to live through you. 
so that you are distinct, so that you are noteworthy, so that you stand out. That's what a believer looks like. That's what we're called to. That's what this is telling us. But a true believer puts off the old self. Um, verse 22, and then, and then we'll, we'll jump to 25. Uh, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. This putting off the old self is, is what we need to do. It is, it is putting that, it is getting rid of that. It is taking off our old self, okay? It is corrupt. It's, uh, uh, you know, wanting to live our lives by our terms. It is very self-focused and selfish. And, uh, and, and you may ask, well, well how, am, how am I corrupt? How am I corrupt? Well, you know what? It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. And it, and it, and it shows that right here. It's hard to tell because we're told here um, that is deceit, uh, in, ver- in verse uh, 22, which belongs to your former manner of life and corrupt through deceitful desires. And so there is deceit involved in your view of your condition. Do you get that? There, there's deceit involved there. You may not see this accurately. You, you, you may not. And, and that is what is involved here. We are deceiving ourselves. Verse 25, we're speaking what is false. It's, it's not true. And we're speaking what, what is, is false. We need to put away that, that false. And this is why our minds must be reprogrammed. Okay, Our minds must be reprogrammed. Don't call me if you have technology issues, okay? You would be sorely disappointed, and I'd probably just mess things up, okay? So let me just start there. But I do know enough to know that uh, if you go in and you get the, the, you know, the memory erased, you get your, your computer swiped, there are still those that can come in and find information on your computer even though it was wiped and swiped. I don't know what that means. I don't know how that is. That's what I've been told. Okay, so that's still available there. So we are not talking about getting swiped, getting cleaned, getting... We're not talking about... We are talking about you take the old hard drive, the operating system, you pull it out, you throw that there, you know, we learn it's in the, it's in the depths of the deepest ocean. It's as far as the east is from the west, right? That is removed, that's gone, and we get a brand new hard drive and we get that installed in there. I don't even know if this is working for you technology-wise, but hopefully it is because it's got to be brand new. It can't be clean. There's, no, there's remnants there. No, it is new creation, all right? We're in there. We're, this is a different machine. This works amazing. I, I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, that's what, hap- that's what we're talking about, okay? It is totally different. It's totally transformed. It's putting off the old self. I am out of the old ways of doing things. I am out of the old ways of seeing things. That is not about me. That's not who I am anymore. But we can't just put off 
Because we also read in Scripture, if you just, you just put off and you just go on, no, 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 then that will come back and it'll come back worse, worse on you, right? You've got to put on Christ. You, have to, you can't just have the hard drive removed and just go, okay, I'm it, because that, that's not going to work. You have to have Christ. You need to put on Christ. That's the way this works. It doesn't work if you don't do that. You need to put on Christ. Verse 24 says, And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Okay? God is not asking us to do good. That's not what he Just do good. Would you just do good? That's not what he's asking us to do. That's not it. If that's what you think's going on in your Christian life, you don't get it. He's not saying just do good. No, we are, we are different people. We're transformed. Putting on Christ is being transformed into a new creation. This is renewal that happens with salvation. It is, it is sanctification process that's going on in us each and every day. That's what's happening here. If we're trying to be distinct, to be different, without Jesus Christ totally changing us, we will fail. We will fail. Parable of the soils. Pretty simple. This renewal, putting on Christ, it starts with the mind. Go back to verse 23. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That's, that's where it starts. This, this total programming with our minds begins with the truth of God's word. Going straight to God's word and reading and letting God do his work in our minds through his word. That's how this reprogramming works. It's the truth of his word. Okay, Put off falsehood and each speak truth with your neighbor. Okay, That's the word of God. Being familiar with the word of God is not being reprogrammed. It's not being reprogrammed. There are games on your phone that you can do today that offer you, you know, biblical trivia. And you go on there, and you got to be quick because it's like a Connect Four thing or whatever. And you just go in there, and, and, and you know, and you got to be quick, but you're, oh, wow, hey, I'm doing And I'm like, wow, look at me. i got a pretty high score. That's great. No. Knowing about the Word, knowing stuff, that, that's, that's not it. You need to be transformed. It's got to be a renewal of your mind. Again, the old hard drive is not just erased. It is pulled out. It is destroyed, and a new hard drive is reinserted. And verse 24 tells us, And put on the new self, created in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. The likeness of God. That's what we are to look like. We are to look like our Heavenly Father. We are to look like God. True righteousness versus the deceit of our old nature. Okay, that's what that's the contrast here. Holiness. Holiness means we are fit to be in the presence of God. We are fit to be in the presence of God. And that's what this calls us to. It calls us to holiness. And I, I don't know about you, but I think you know, these passages of Scripture in, in Revelation and Isaiah where we're 
before a holy God and we're, we're before his throne, you know, and, and Isaiah's there and fall down like, like a dead man. And I, I, that is huge. Don't, don't take that lightly. Don't take that as just a, a, you know, an illustration. No, this is, this is huge. And we will be before a holy God. We are to allow him to reprogram us so that we are holy before him and we can go before him in that way. That's what we're talking about here. Verse 25 uh, says, Having put away falsehood, uh, speaking truthfully to your neighbor, um, this false speaking is no longer a part of who we are. It no longer uh, comes out of our mouth. We are not representing things uh, in, in a in an a incorrect way anymore. Have you ever talked with someone that's maybe shared a lot about you know what's going on and uh, and uh, they're sharing about something in, from Scripture or from the Bible or about God and you're going, wait a second, that doesn't. I, I don't think that's right. I, I wait a second. No, that's not what Scripture says. I, I, I don't, exactly. We're we're to speak truth with our neighbor. We're not to we're not to represent our view and feelings about things. No, we're to speak truth to our neighbor in love. In love, we're told. Our present lives show us whether we are true believers in Christ. Our present lives show us whether we are true believers in Christ. First John um, is an amazing little book. First John 2.4 says this, Pretty straightforward. He is the propitiation for sins. What did I say? First John 2, 4, am I right? Ah, it would help if I got to verse 4. There we are. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Whoever says, I know him, and yet is unwilling to do what God asks him to do is a liar. He's not telling the truth. He's deceiving himself. That's a part of what's going on here. There is deceit involved when we view ourselves. Okay? Verse 26 tells us, uh, don't be angry. Doesn't it? Is that what it says? Is that what it says? It doesn't. It says, in your anger, do not sin, right? Let me read. Let's get, it, let's get it correct. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Oh. Be angry and do not sin. So there is a place for anger. But I think what this is telling us is, don't be an angry person. Don't be an angry person. Okay? I, I think it's as simple as that. You know, I've dealt with anger in my own life. Still deal with it. Um, you can ask my kids. You don't have to. Um, but confessing and going to someone and saying, you know, I am sorry for my anger. I've sinned against you. Um, you know, would you please forgive me? Um, is an amazing path to go on because you're not demanding anything if you go forgive me if you don't forgive me you know what I no we're not we're not trying to convince someone we're just confessing and asking them to forgive us 
But confession of anger and them showing me mercy and God showing me mercy has really helped in, in my life. It has helped temper me, uh, no pun intended, uh, in my life. And if you're wondering whether anger is an issue with you, ask those close to you. Just ask them a simple question. Like, do you see me as an angry person? Or do you see that there's anger issues in my life? Just ask them. See what they say. My guess is they'll probably share with you. And if that's the case, if that's where you are, if you're where I was, you know, deal with your anger quickly. That's, that's what we're told here. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, right? Deal with your anger quickly. Confess your anger. Deal with it. Um, and, and, and have the forgiveness that, that God gives you. Don't, don't hold that. Don't dwell that. Don't be an angry person. And it even, it even goes here even further as to why this is, a, is a, not just a good idea, it's a command. Because it says um, in verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. So, so let, do not let the sun go down your anger and do not give an opportunity to the devil. The devil uses your anger. He uses it against you, and he uses it against those that you are angry with. The devil uses that. He will take advantage of our anger, and he will mix in pride. He'll mix in self-righteousness. He'll mix in revenge. He'll mix in all kinds of things, stir it up, and so you're just like, I don't even know what, ah. Yeah, that's exactly what he does. That's exactly what he does. And the longer you allow that to happen, the messier it gets. Anybody have any idea what I'm talking about? Right? So confess your anger early. Deal with that soon. Talk to people. Have a conversation with It's amazing how God will work in your heart and mind and change you and change those around you. You know, I've... I've I've been so thankful for those that have forgiven me for things that I've said, for things that I've done. And uh, I don't know about you, you can probably remember when someone said something to you or did something to you that was pretty angry and was pretty nasty and and was not appropriate. Uh, And it happened decades ago. But if you're like me, you can remember things that I said or things that I did that were not good, that were because I was angry and they were wrong, and, and I needed to repent from those. And so I hope that you will deal with them quickly. I need to deal with the anger in my life quickly. Well, as we continue on here in this, uh, in this new life, It says in verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So we're to work hard, and we're to work honestly. Why? Why? I came up with a couple reasons. One, which is right here and pretty clear, but... 
The first is, so not to bring shame on the Lord's name. We work hard. We have a strong work ethic. So we're not bringing shame on the Lord's name. Okay? We're not, we're not a sluggard. We're not, we're not you know, lazy. We're working hard. We're working honestly. And we're doing that to bring honor and glory to our Lord because we're serious about him. That's, that's the first one. The second is right here. So that we have something to share with others, right? So that they may have something to share with anyone that is need, in need. So you can be generous as God has commanded you to be generous. That's why we work hard. That's why we work honestly. So that we'll have something to share, something to give, something to be generous as God has called us to. Okay? Now I had a question that I wanted to ask you. You know, especially if you work hard and you work honest, which I hope you do. Are these two things the reasons why you work hard and you are honest in your work? I think we need to check our motivations for our hard work, check our motivations for our honesty. They need to be doing in line with the Lord. That's, that's why we do this. That's why we live. That's, that's who we want to represent. So why do you work the way you do? Why are you about it? Is it honoring and pleasing the Lord? That's where it needs to be. Verse 29 says, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building others up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We need to be godly in our speech. Only let what is beneficial and profitable for building others up come out of your mouths. Enriching speech, encouraging speech, those things that are helpful. Now, Sometimes we need to talk with people and we need to say something that's hard to say, but we're going to say it in a loving way, but it's going to be maybe, maybe different. Maybe we need to tell them something that they don't see in themselves or, or, or we need to talk about something. And that's, that's still good. That's still beneficial. That's still positive. But the reality is our tongue is the most common way for us to sin. James 3 2 says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Saying uh, or sinning with our tongues is pretty common. It's common to all of us. We need to realize that. We need to uh, take care of that. We need to to uh, surrender that over the Lord and have him do his work in us in that. We need to confess to each other and sin no more. That's what we need to do. That's how we should live with our tongues. That's, that's what our tongues should do. And, and the book of James gives us all kinds of uh, uh, examples of that. We need to call sin with our tongue what it is. Sin. Sin with your tongue is sin. It's not I misspoke. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, you know, or whatever else you want to call it. Call it sin. If you shouldn't have said it, call it sin. Apologize and go on from there. That's what you'd call the sin with your tongue sin. And then verse 29. Oh, thank you, Lord, for verse 29. Because as we, as we see the, the, the end of that, 
Uh, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such for building others up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Grace to those who hear. When we confess our sins to each other, when we share that, um, we are giving grace and they're giving grace to us. When, we've, when we forgive people of what they've said to us, we're giving grace to them. I've been so thankful for those people that I have carelessly said or hurt with a word or trying to be funny or which is, you know, not very funny. Uh, but they can give grace. We can give grace to those who hear and that's what we need to, we need to do. Let this be true about us. Let us be people that give grace to others through our speech, not uh, sinning against others with our speech. And then as we go on, it says, uh, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's kind of hard for us to get our minds wrapped around. At least it is for me. Simple guy. Hard to get the Holy Spirit wrapped around my mind. But do you see the personhood of the Holy Spirit here? You can grieve the Holy Spirit, okay? You can break the Holy Spirit's heart with your actions, with your words, with your thoughts, with your motivations, okay? So we're not, we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't want that to, to have that between us and the Holy Spirit. I mean, look, um, The Holy Spirit is your comforter and your counselor, right? Right? It's a gift that's been given to you, your comforter and your counselor. Do you really want to grieve your counselor, your comforter? You want to have that between you and him? No, we don't want to do that. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And that's the the way we talk and, and, uh, you know, realizing that... uh, that we need to not grieve the Holy Spirit with our actions and, and, and what we say. He says we are sealed with him, sealed with the Holy Spirit, right? Sealed for the day of redemption. Sealed, no one's, no one's opening that seal. No one's taking that away. No one's changing that. No one's taking that away from us. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord for that. If you are sealed with him, It remains that way. Well, verse 31 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Bitterness, wrath, anger, slander, malice. That's quite a handful. That's quite a handful. Those are the things that grieve the Holy Spirit. When we act in that way, bitterness, wrath, anger, slander. And we are commanded here, I believe, to give up our control in these situations. Situations of anger, situations of difficulty. We are to give up in our, our control there. Because isn't that what bitterness, wrath, slander, isn't that what they're all about? Controlling the situation, controlling the, the conversation or the relationship. I have my, okay, I got this, and we're doing this little uh, you know, chess game of who's in control. And that's what bitterness, wrath, and slander, that's what they're all about. No, 
Give up control of that. Surrender that. Let the Lord take care of that. Those are the things that grieve the Holy Spirit when we, when we try and live our lives and relationships with those things in play. No. No, no. That should not be what we do. Now, when I say giving up control of, of, of those things in relationships, I'm not talking about giving up self-control. We're not to give up self-control. That's a part of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Fruit of the Spirit. There's one fruit, right? It's not fruits of the Spirit. There is the fruit of the Spirit is, and all of those are one fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It's not like, well, I got three out of three out of nine, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm mediocre. I'm, no, it is the fruit of the Spirit. It's all the fruit of the Spirit. One fruit and self-control is a part of that. So we're not talking about giving up self-control. But we are talking about giving up control and going, okay. How will that help with peace and unity and distinction in our walk if we're able to give up those control things and we don't need to be in control? Because the reality is, whether you will admit it or not, you really aren't in control of very much at all. Did you know that? You're really not in control. You'd like to think so, but you're not, and neither am I. Instead, we hear in verse 32, be kind, be tenderhearted, be forgiving one another. And why? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? As God in Christ forgave you. Because you have been forgiven more by Christ than you could ever forgive someone else. Way more. Not even close. Maybe you should be thankful for what Christ has done for you rather than holding someone else to a standard. Forgive them. Live at peace with them. If you don't think this is true, that you know, you've been forgiven more, I can tell you from experience, don't worry, God, God will show you, because he will reveal you to you. And at some point in time, you will get a picture of you. And when you get a picture of you, it's an amazing day, but it's a hard day. It's a hard day. When we realize who we are in the midst of Christ, it's like, forgive me. I, I, I can't believe it. The only reason that we can live our lives in this way, forgiving others, live, live our lives in kindness, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, is because of the grace we have been given through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. That is the only way that we can do that. We can live a life worthy of our calling only because of Jesus. And this is the new life that Reuben Hilborn proclaimed to all who would listen. And I hope that you will proclaim the new life you have in Christ to those who will listen as well.